Words, they get golly hard when they jumble. Jumping over hurdles, slowing birds like a turtle. Merc and fool, like Squirtle and Kate Boo. Cold blood is with this rhyme scheme, I'm a boss. This is That Got Me Thinking, and I'm Ellie Newman. This week, I've been thinking about the Clash song, Should I Stay or Should I Go? I've been thinking about how difficult it can be to determine if a relationship has run its course and it's time to transition, or if there are adjustments you can make and actions you can take to get the relationship back on track in such a way to make it satisfying and fulfilling. And I've been thinking about how the same skills we learn and utilize in divorce mediation can actually help us optimize those relationships we are thinking about bringing to an end. My guest today is Susan Guthrie Esquire. Susan Guthrie recently named by Lawyers of Distinction as one of the top family law and mediation attorneys in the country, has been helping individuals and families navigate separation and divorce for 30 years. Susan and fellow top attorney Rebecca Zung are the co-founders of Breaking Free Mediation, the first family law mediation centers in the country to offer a mindfulness track to help divorcing parties to negotiate their issues peacefully. Breaking Free Mediation offers online mediation services nationwide. Susan is also the co-host with Rebecca of the iTunes Top 10 podcast, Breaking Free, a modern divorce podcast, which is revolutionizing the conversation around divorce. Welcome, Susan, and thank you so much for joining us today on That Got Me Thinking. Thank you, Ellie. I'm so happy to be here with you today. So I want to start with a quick discussion on what mediation is and what it isn't, because I think it's definitely so much more popular now than it was a couple decades ago. But I think people still may have confusion as to how it works and how it might be different from arbitration or going to court. Oh, I think that's 100% correct. So thank you for asking that question, because that's actually... Uh, one of the misconceptions that I run into all of the time as I am out trying to just make sure people know that mediation is an option at the time that they're facing divorce in their life. Um, And I do find that many people think that the mediation process is sort of an ancillary type of judicial proceeding where they will go to the mediator outside of a courtroom and the mediator sits as sort of a quasi-judge who you know, here's their, each of their sides of the matter, and then we'll make decisions for them. So they think they're going to go to a mediation session, and someone else is going to tell them what to do. And really, the beauty of mediation is that 100% of the decisions in mediation are actually made by the two participants or the two people who are going through the process. Um, So it's the complete opposite of what many of them expect. And it, it, sort of flies that their expectation of being told what to do uh, sort of flies in the face of what what that great benefit of mediation is. And I think a lot of people probably have that sense because sort of old school mediation in the courts was just that you would go to mediation during your divorce and sit with a mediator and, and oftentimes a psychologist and then they would give the recommendation. You know, absolutely. I actually for years did that uh, when I was litigating divorces in Connecticut, I was a special master for the court system. And that's exactly what we would do. Just before trial, the case would get sent to us. It was There were two special masters for each case. And both the attorneys would tell their uh, client side of things. And then the special masters would make recommendations, um, which is, again, a very different process than sitting with a mediator who's really sitting with the two of you in a neutral, supportive fashion. Um, Your mediator is there to help you identify the fact or identify the issues that you need to address in a divorce or separation to give you sort of an understanding of the law and the issues, you know, the facts around those issues. And then really their, their greatest role is to help you by facilitating the conversation around what can be difficult topics um, so that you and your soon-to-be ex can make agreements and, and decide what you two think is the best way to rearrange things for your family. And let's talk a little bit about what the value is there, because with that scenario, you really are exploring interests that generate mutually satisfying options, right? It, it's not a, a I won, you know, you lost, or, or um, you know, even, even really trying to find a compromise. It's looking for that third solution and trying to dig down to, to what's really important to both parties. Um, 
you've taken this process online, and um, I'm, I'm wondering what the reaction has been in all different areas, with your clients, um, with the legal community, and even with the mediation community, because that you're breaking a lot of taboos, at least from when I trained as a mediator. You know, you're supposed to sit in a room with a round table. Um, so what's the reaction yeah. been? You know, it's, I, I love that you asked that question, because that very much sums up um, sort of what the reaction has been among colleagues. Um, you know, there is uh, sort of a resistance to the online format because it's something new. It's not how we all learned how to do mediation. And so there's a thought process that if the people are not together in the same room, uh, they won't have the same result. They won't have the same connection. But I've actually found that to not be true in practice. Um, I have been doing exclusively online mediation for the past three years, um, and I have actually found in most cases, I think that it is working better for the parties than even being in person because it gives them a little bit of distance from each other, which when you're in such a highly charged emotional conversation, Sometimes having just a little bit of distance of space, but still being able to see each other. Um, and actually, it's very visual because you have to remember, if you do video conferencing, you know your face is right there, right? So you are seeing each other maybe even more clearly. Um, they say about 85% of human communication is through expression and uh, through the visual, not through the audible. Um, and then, you know, for clients, I have had almost a universal positive response. Clients love the convenience of it. Clients love the ability to move through the process more quickly because they can schedule more easily. They don't have to deal with traffic. Um, and I don't know about you and your, your own mediation practice, but one of the things that I often heard when I was doing in-person mediation was that some people came in for a consult, loved the idea of mediation, but did not feel that in that moment in life where they were going through a difficult time separating from their partner, that they wanted to do that sitting in the same room. So I have actually found that it makes the process more accessible to people um, than just traditional mediation. So um, I, I am actually a, a great fan of online mediation, and I do think that it's it's the future of the dispute resolution process in many ways, um, because our whole world is moving online. Well, I, I love the idea that the actual practice of it flies in the face of what the theories told us all, which which makes sense in so many ways, as far as people being more comfortable and in control in their own space, you know, by themselves with the computer. And also, you know, the whole one of the main aspects of a mediator is just by having that third party, it, it's it starts to alter the the habitual dynamics and the habitual patterns. And I'm thinking being in your own space does that as well to an even greater extent. Yeah, it really gives the people again going through usually an emotionally difficult time, the ability to be in a chosen environment. And, you know, as you point out, many people choose to do it while they're at home. Um, I have so many of my clients that are actually sitting on a couch with their dog in their lap or their cat on their shoulder. Um, our pets can often be a great comfort to us. Um, and that may not be something that's available to you if you're going off to a mediator's conference room. Um, and even people who are doing it in their office, um, are, are still in a place where they feel a little more secure and a little more comfortable. Going to a strange place where you've just dealt with traffic and you've just dealt with like trying to get out of the office or get someone to take care of the kids so you can clear your space and then sitting down and having to quiet yourself and calm yourself and deal with the tasks at hand, you know, starts the whole process off sometimes with difficulty. Usually someone's a little late getting to the mediation or something's going on. And so the the online process really adds to the accessibility for the client and frankly, for the mediator. Um, you know, I work with clients all around the world now um, because I can be available to them. And so it, it really doesn't matter where they are the key is that they have a good Wi-Fi connection and they have some privacy because obviously you can't go sit in Starbucks and talk about your personal private 
financial and, you know, personal family issues uh, while getting a coffee with 50 of your best friends. Okay, I'm glad um, to hear you say that Billy, because I don't know, the millennials, some might think, no, that's fine. That's perfect. Oh, I've had clients who, when they've, they've shown up for their online mediation session, they are clearly in a coffee house or a public place. Um, and actually one of my, you know, one of the things that I've learned and one of the things that I teach other mediators when I train them in how to do online mediations, um, I have sort of some ground rules about the mediation because there is the, the one main difference for mediators um, and for clients is what we've already identified here in a traditional mediation in your mediator's conference room, the mediator has control over the, the client's environment. But when everyone is remote, that control is lost. And there are certain issues like privacy and confidentiality that do not pair well with the mediation session being conducted publicly or with other people present. So there have to be some ground rules set and expectations you know, communicated to everyone about not having other people present, not being in a public place, and making sure that it's a secure Wi-Fi connection. So I want to talk about some of the skills you need to be successful in mediation, but I want to put that on hold just for a second, because I want to just briefly talk about how often you see couples struggling with the decision of whether to stay together or, or divorce during mediation. You know, in the mediation process, I find it interesting, because my mediation process I do not start, we, we at Breaking Free do not start even the consultation process until both parties are willing to be present for the consultation because we always want to maintain uh, a, the neutrality of the mediators. So we want both of them to hear all of the information at the same time from us. Uh, not where you have that situation where we've spoken to one of them and the other one might feel that a bias has been created. So with our mediation practice, I more, you know, since we're meeting both of them at the same time, they've usually come to the point where that's an agreement that they want to explore mediation. But when I've been an active practicing divorce attorney, I would say 50% of the time that someone came in for a consultation it was really an information gathering part of their process of, you know, as you and the clash so adroitly said, should I stay or should I go? Um, and they're sort of exploring their options and talking to a divorce attorney is one of their ways to sort of work through that question of should I stay or should I go? And have you found just sort of generally that couples, you know, do they walk in the door or online in your case and you say, oh my gosh, yes, let's end this as quickly as possible. These, this couple is so mismatched. Or have you found a lot of times there may just be, it's not that they're mismatched, but maybe they they lack um, communication skills and conflict resolution skills. Oh, well, that's, I, I think that's very true. And in both circumstances, both as litigation and mediation, because often what I have seen in both process, um, driven divorce processes, um, is that when the people come to the point of looking at how they would like to divorce, almost always it drops into the conversation at, at some point that these two people have been living like roommates for an extensive period of time. I mean, I, I've heard people who say, you know, we've just been coexisting in the same space for seven years or three years. And I'm not just talking about the physical. I'm talking about just two people who are basically have shared a house or an apartment or a condo, um, but have sort of existed on a plane of having separate lives. And it's not until something, you know, kicks it off. Uh, sometimes it's an affair. Sometimes it's just that one person can't take it anymore. Someone decides it's time to go and not stay. Um, that drives the divorce process forward. But almost always, I have seen that there's been this limbo period of should I stay or should I go, where maybe one or both of them have been thinking it, but not really doing anything about it. And, and what are the, some of the skills that you need to be successful in mediation? And then they maybe translate to good relationship skills. Because I'm thinking sometimes within the mediation, um, does it happen where a couple will go through the process and then end up staying together? 
actually, yes, really good point, because as I have switched my practice from litigation to mediation in the past 10 or so years, I have had a a pretty large percentage, I would say, of cases where as we go through the mediation process, a couple will, you know, come in for a session and say, Susan, you know, thank you for the help. Um, we're going to take what we have done here and actually build on that and try to work things through. Um, and so they've taken what we've done in mediation and and the skills, you know, as you very correctly point out, the skills that they've learned in that process, and they decide to use that to try to repair the relationship or build on where they're at. And I've seen that time and time again, um, which is actually one of the reasons why I love mediation and why I have moved, you know, my practice entirely to uh, that field as opposed to litigating still. Um, and I think it all comes down to, in a very large sense, communication. And, you know, I mean that in the sense of, being able to state what you want and being able to get that out to your partner, which means thinking about it, which means being aware, which a lot of people have just, as I said, been coexisting and coasting along. Um, but the process makes you sit down and actually think about what you want, um, where you're at, where you want to go. And being able to communicate that to your partner, because that's a very large part of the mediation process. Um, being able to state your position, being able to state uh, what you think is fair. And then the other flip side of that is the skill of listening to what your partner is saying, which is just as equally important in a mediation session or in communicating with your spouse, because most of the time we listen only in order to answer. And we don't actually hear what someone is saying. We're formulating what our response to their, their statement or that the other person's comment will be. And in mediation, that can't work because you have to actually listen to what your partner is saying so that you can do what you mentioned earlier, try to find that third solution, which is to be able to get both of you as much of what you each desire in the process as possible. And as people work through that, in mediation with the help of their mediator, who's always trying to bring them back to those communication core skills, that's where I think people find an ability to reconnect. And in that situation, how do you get them off their position or their idea about, you know, I, I deserve this, this, and this, and I want that, and, and you know, to a place where they're digging a little deeper and say, okay, what's the essence of what I really want? Like, what, what's my interest here about wanting that? Yeah, so often I will take them back. So we um, at Breaking Free always start every mediation process with our clients at the very beginning with formulating a joint statement of intent of what they are trying to achieve through the mediation process. Is it the restructuring of their family? Is it creating a way where they both can co-parent peacefully and nurture their children jointly in the best way possible? We, 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 craft a sort of a mission statement with them, which, you know, when a mediator told me that years ago, a, a mentor uh, told me that that was a part of his process years ago, I thought it sounded very, you know, kumbaya, hand-holding, sitting around, you know, I was a litigator. I was used to going in, stating the facts, using them to, to advocate for what my client wanted. And over the years, I have seen that mission or having that agreed upon joint intention as something to ground the parties to be such an effective tool for helping them when they get stuck in their positions. Because you know, and I know that happens in almost every mediation where people will get to a point where they just will dig in their heels on something and often don't even know why. You know, it, it's often a, an emotional response uh, not a logical or reasoned response. So bringing them back to their joint um, mission statement or, or intention is often a good way to get everybody to go back to remembering where they're trying to go and how can we try to break down the issues here so that we can bo get both of you as much of what you want as possible.
Okay, you're making me think two things. One, again, just illustrating so clearly again how the the courtroom is such the wrong place for divorce. I mean, an adversarial system where you already have this family unit that is obviously adversarial because things aren't going well um, or apathetic by that point. And, and here you are having attorneys that are advocating for each side and, you know, really trying to win. And we'll talk a little bit later about how you don't get the emotional divorce and never really get to work through your, your narrative and in your pain. Um, but I want to drill down Correct. a little bit because you're making me think about one of the elements that are so, so, it's so important in mediation and also, um, when you're figuring out your interests, but also in a relationship is a balanced power dynamic. And how important is that for successful mediation? You know, I think that's probably one of the most important factors um, for there to be, you know, as you say, a successful mediation. You can have a mediation, and I have done these. I have had this process happen where a couple will come in and, you know, as in many relationships, there is an inherent power dynamic uh, that is disrupted, that there is not an equal sort of uh, level playing field between these two parties. We have one party who is just more used to being the one who goes along with what the stronger personality or the more dominant uh, partner prescribes. Um, And, you know, I don't, not throwing either gender under the bus, but gender stereotypes somewhat go with this. And I have seen this to be more true of women um, coming into the mediation, especially in those more traditional situations where you have uh, the traditional breadwinner going out and earning the money and you have a um, traditional stay-at-home mom who's taking care of the family and home. And perhaps her decision-making is centered around the children and centered around the home. And then, you know, the breadwinner's uh, process or decision-making is in the finances, but then they get into the mediation process. And what ends up happening is we will discuss possibilities. We will have the more structured and powerful partner putting out proposals. And the partner who does not feel empowered, who does not feel on an equal playing field, will never get to a point where they feel that they can pull the trigger and make an agreement on things because they never feel secure enough that they can do it. And eventually, the mediation process will break down. And unfortunately, at that point, what usually happens is both of the parties are so frustrated because now the one party who's been making the proposals all along is like, I gave her 50 different ways to do it and she wouldn't accept any of them. We're going to court and they go lawyer up and they become, a, it becomes a much more aggressive thing. And the party who wasn't able to just feel empowered enough to make those agreements, make, feel secure in their decisions, uh, you know, they end up having to lawyer up, start over again in that more destructive uh, adversarial process. They don't usually go from one mediator to the next to try and finish. And what, what, what do you think um, keeps so that party stuck? What, what do you think the barriers are for them? You know, there's a lot that goes into it. And I think with a good mediator, I always feel that one of the things that I have always found to be one of the greatest benefits of mediation um, is that it allows for collaboration. Um, so that you can bring in the support for that person that might be needed. And when I say that, you know, that's what I feel is missing. You have a person who has been going through a relationship for an extended period of time, who has not been empowered in that relationship, who has not been an equal partner in decision-making, and to expect them to then walk into a mediator's conference room or my virtual conference room and make major decisions without changing their their paradigm, it, it's a little unrealistic. So, you know, really what I feel, you know, what I feel they need and what we try to provide for them is a support system that helps them to build up to a level playing field so that they feel that they can make those informed decisions. And that may be helping them find a consulting attorney during the process so that they have someone who can give them specific legal advice and help them with their negotiating and self-advocacy skills. You, it may be helping them with a mental health professional, find someone 
to help build up, you know, whatever might be missing there, communication skills, self-esteem, um, just assertiveness, again, the self-advocacy skills. Um, and it might be, in many cases, getting them uh, a financial advisor, because a lot of these decisions that are made in divorce center around finances. It's very complicated in some cases, and it's very scary if that's not what you've been dealing with. There's a lot of fear around finance in divorce. Um, so a certified divorce financial analyst, it can be incredibly empowering for someone. And if you can support that party in feeling like they're coming to the table, knowing what works best for them, knowing that they're making good decisions, that's when they're able to come to the mediation process and be on equal footing and make good decisions. And those are the ones that stick. You know, that's the thing with mediation is agreements that the two parties work out together are the agreements that they both feel work best for them and that stick. Yeah, so you don't end up in court again and again and again, fighting over implementation. Exactly. And I love that you call it yep. a paradigm and that you point out that it's a, um, a shift in the mindset and also a development of skills. Um, I'm wondering, connected with that, how important is it that within mediation, each party gets a chance to tell their story? Because people think that that's going to happen in court. Oh, I'm going to get to say when SOB so-and-so was or, you know, how it's all their fault, which, <laughs> which doesn't happen. And so often the person who quote-unquote wins feels like they lost at the end because they never got that validation. How does that work in mediation, a chance to tell your story and maybe resolve um, or, and move through some of the current conflicts? You know, so there's a few different ways that that can come into it. And I, I know there's a lot of thoughts on this, I think, in the mediation field, at least in the family mediation field. So because you know, I certainly look at it as, look, there has obviously been a lot that has gone on between the two of you that not all of it has been great because that's why you're here. Um, and to the extent that we need to address things that have happened in the past in order for the two of you to make decisions about what you want to do to go forward then that's what should be done in this process. Again, if, you know, we are talking about a concern that someone has about a parenting decision that one, the other parent made, and it, it keeps them from agreeing to elements of the parenting plan, we need to talk about that. We need to get into what happened, what can be done to, you know, work around that, the fear that might have be coming from that. But on the flip side, if we bring into the mediation sessions just a litany of everything you think that the other person did wrong and why this is all their fault, um, that's often not particularly helpful uh, because that just then pushes the people further apart and it's not a very forward thinking approach. So, you know, I think it's a balanced and nuanced conversation when you're talking about the story um, because you know you and I both know as sitting in the room with people or working through this process with people they both have a story about the same thing but it's a very different story in many cases oh yeah and, and man, um, man do we want to hold on to our narrative right like we want to hold on to it yeah. we want to sell it we want to like put it in in print it's funny because one of the lines in the Clash song, um, if I go, there will be trouble. And if I stay, there will be double. So come come on and let me know. He's abdicating responsibility um, for his experience and, and for the choice. Kind of like, oh, well, you tell me what you want, and then that's what we'll do. I'm guessing that doesn't work that well in, in mediation. It certainly doesn't in an ongoing relationship. Um, people need to take responsibility. I mean, they always sort of say, oh, you have to take 100% responsibility for the relationship. And so does the other person. How, how does that play out in mediation? Well, I think it's, it's very much the same thing because you cannot come into a mediation. And this is where people, you know, have, have difficulty with the process. It's not easy. Everyone thinks that uh, somebody once used this phrase to me, uh, mediation is the kinder, gentler way to get divorced. And I had to laugh, not because it's not you know, adversarial litigated divorce is mudslinging, nasty, down and dirty in the courtroom type stuff in many cases. But mediation is not easy. 
it is a process where you go into the room or into the virtual room and you have to sit down face to face and talk about very difficult issues with a person who you thought you were going to spend your life with. And it turns out that's not, you know, how the story is going to end for the two of you. So there's a maelstrom of negative emotions. And so to go in and sit down and take part in the process, but not own your own part in why you're there, how you got there, and what led to you know, where the two of you are now as you split your paths in some ways, never leads you to a, an ability to resolve things. And that's really what you're trying to do in, in mediation, very different from what you're trying to do in litigation. In litigation, you are going in, you are trying to tell your story, which casts the other side in the, the worst possible light so that you can get what you want. Um, and really what you're doing is, is destructive. You know, you're destroying that relationship and throwing it out. In mediation, you're coming to the table and you're reforming the relationship. And that takes both of you. You know, you can't re expect you're going to come to that table. You're going to tell the other person everything they did wrong. They're going to change and you're going to walk out of the room the same person, but they're going to be 100% different. Well, it's interesting because you're making me think about something you said at the very beginning, which is the the imbalance of power and how someone will often be the person who made all the decisions. And within that, there can be sort of an a, a approach where one person maybe always sacrificed what they wanted um, and themselves to keep the peace or to get resolution, whereas the other person maybe always tried um, to solve for everyone's interests without asking anyone else what they wanted. Both maybe, you know, doing it out of an idea that that was the best way to move things forward. Those habits and patterns have to shift for mediation to be fruitful. Um, What does that tend to look like as that starts to, to move? You know, and you certainly see those cases where the people bring that dynamic that existed in the marriage straight into the mediation process where you walk in for that first session and one of the parties whips out that written statement of how they think the case should settle. They have all their reasons why this is what's best for you, the other person, and they expect that that's going to be how it all concludes and that the other person is going to say, oh, brilliant. Thank you for thinking of me and go forward with that. So and, <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> and I've seen that numerous times. I, I bet you have as well. Um, and it's always the piece of paper, the one piece, the one page piece of paper that and spells it all out. And the sad part is that person truly does think they're being helpful. Often. And they do. And because it's their, par- it's the paradigm yeah. of the relationship. Yeah. It's how they probably existed up to that point in time. Can you really fault them for thinking they're going to walk into mediation and think it's going to be something different? But what happens in mediation and as parties are now going to separate out, and I have seen this time and time again, you may have the other side, the less powerful side, actually go along with much of it in the beginning and say, okay, that sounds reasonable. Okay, you know, that maybe we can do that. And then as you go along and you start, you know, dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's because that one page always exists or always consists of broad scope, you know, broad scope, what we're going to do with the house, broad scope, what we're going to do about money. But when, you know, you actually get into the details of, well, what does it mean to keep the house and how does the house get paid for? And what about the mortgage? And it's a joint mortgage and all of those things. Um, When you start to break down the details, often what happens, and it's a big shock to the person who had the whole thing worked out is that the details, don't add up to something that works for the other side. And you end up having to go back to square one and start building all the blocks up. And that's where this having to support the person who initially said, okay, maybe we can do that or okay, you know, went along with the original uh, relationship paradigm. Um, Sooner or later, they almost always will wake up. I've had it happen very unfortunately many times when an entire agreement has been drafted based upon them saying, sure, I'll go along with that. And then when it comes time to sign that agreement, they wake up and say, no, I'm not doing that. That's not fair. 
that I, I no longer think that's fair. Right. And in a way, it depends where your focus is, right? Is your focus on the immediate, let's get this over? Or is your focus on the future? What do I want that to look like? And I know aspects of mediation, some of the exercises you might do is is like reality testing um, or going through options and understanding options and alternative scenarios and what that might look like. How does that work in mediation where you might sort of open up um, the participants' mindsets to kind of imagine various alternatives? Well, I think that's one of the most effective tools that we're given as mediators, especially you know, when, when we've been doing it for a long time, because we've now seen these movies played out. So again, going, say, with that scenario of, well, she'll keep the house and she'll buy me out or that sort of idea. Clients are very often and people going through divorce are very often able to like grasp the high level concepts but they never really play the movie out. That's how I always phrase it to them of what that will actually look like, you know, what the, where the money flow is going to come from, how it's going to look, you know, until it can be sold, the house could be sold, whatever it might be. So very often an effective tool in grounding everyone in the reality of their decisions um, is that you, you do play out the movie. You talk about, different scenarios of, of what might look and you also brainstorm because just because there's an overall idea of what we'd like to accomplish maybe it is agreed that they but you know one of them wants to keep the house and the other one doesn't care as long as it works out financially so that's where you can play out different scenarios to see how it might work for the two of them um, and and often mediators um, can say, well, I've seen couples do this. Maybe this is to give you some ideas, not to tell you what to do, but to help you and your your partner come up with possible solutions for how you might be able to move forward and achieve what you both would like to achieve. Um, so I think modeling or working through the what if or what does this look like is really important because what you do not want to get to is what I referenced before is an agreement that doesn't have any real foundation, that someone just agreed to something without having a clear concept of what they were agreeing to. And so the agreement falls apart because it wasn't built on a firm foundation of understanding. And though that's a, that's a very negative situation because you have one party who feels betrayed, but you said you agreed and the other party saying, well, but I didn't understand. And you know, that will only further deteriorate the process. So it's far better to work through the details, think them through. And I always tell clients, before you agree, be sure that you feel that you can live up to your agreement because this is your opportunity with each other to reform your trust and integrity with each other. And if you tell the, your, your co-parent or your soon-to-be ex-partner that you're going to do something, be sure that you can live up to that. Don't put yourselves in a situation of perpetuating perhaps a lack of trust or a feeling of lacking integrity in your agreement. Um, it's a way to start going forward in that new way. I love the analogy of how does the movie play out. A lot of times I'll say that to my husband, like, which character in the movie are you playing right now? <laughs> Is that the character you want to play? You want to be that guy? Um, Maybe you want to rewrite the script on yeah, that, Yeah, you want to be the, yeah. other, the other character? Um, so <laughs> love that. a lot of research shows that couples who fight fair and effectively tend to stay together. Um, which may be counterintuitive. People say, oh, we never fight. Um, and it's making me think of people saying that, oh, you know, mediation is kind and gentle. Well, as you pointed out, you know, no, it, the, the result is always much better. Um, but you got to get down in there and you've got to really, in a way, learn how to fight fair and effectively. And you need to gain those skills and tools to, to resolve conflict and, and bolster trust and understanding and respect and, and commitment to, to the well-being of both parties, which is probably why a lot of couples, if they work through that successively, might stay together. Um, 
What do you do within the mediation process to kind of battle um, poor communication and, and ineffective conflict resolution skills? You know, one of the main things that I find to be effective or helpful to people is when, because, you know, you're the third party in the room, right? And you're the neutral party in the room. So we hear what you are both saying to each other when often you do not hear what the other person is saying to you. And so very often I will say, so, you know, Bob, what did you just hear Mary saying? So that we can get an understanding of whether he, what she's saying is getting across to him. And you will find very often he heard maybe one portion of what she said, or he interpreted something she said, perhaps a way that might be different than how she intended um, and vice versa. You know, you often will get where it goes back to that um, sort of concept that we often listen to what people are saying with a frame of reference of trying to figure out how we're going to answer it without really hearing what the other person's saying. And another thing that mediators often will do that can be very effective is letting the parties know what they're hearing. You know, what I heard Mary say was that she's concerned about this. Is Mary, is that correct? Am I, am I correctly phrasing uh, your concern? Um, and, you know, Bob, hearing that that's Mary's concern, how would you, you know, how would you respond to that? Or what are your thoughts? Um, how, what would you, would you propose? That's always a famous one Bill Eddy came up with, um, the, the, the uh, well-known mediator who deals with high conflict. I love that because when you, people get bogged down in the, the talking point, without any solutions, it's great to be able to turn them to the solutions. Well, what do you propose? What do you think will work? Yeah, how would you solve this if if, if this if you thought this exactly. was the problem? And I love your first point that you know Bob sitting there like, oh yeah, she said I was stupid. You know everything that she says, all he hears is, oh she's saying I'm stupid. And you're really acting as a translator to say, well yeah, that's not what I heard her say, Bob. This is what I heard her say. So he can actually hear it. Yep, yep. And I think you know because these are not new uh, communication issues between these parties. You know, by the time they get to the mediation process, these are two people who probably have had the difficulty communicating for a reasonably lengthy period of time. So they may have stopped hearing what the other person was saying or started hearing what, you know, their version of what the other person was saying a long time ago. And so even on, mo on the simplest of statements, it's very helpful often in the, in the mediation process to do that parroting or to give back to the parties what the mediator is hearing because you're just starting to, to fire those new neural learning paths of, of actually hearing what the other person is saying. Um, and asking someone to state something more clearly can also be very helpful because people will tend to get bogged down in the, the past, the history, like we've talked about, well, you did this, and that's why this, and then you did this, and then you did that. And that gets far afield of perhaps the issue that we're talking about. So bringing them back to, okay, Mary, well, we understand that you do have some concerns arising out of the past, but you have that concern today. And can you be specific about what those concerns are or something to try and bring it back to the present and the forward thinking um, so that they start to hear each other. I'm going to throw out a, a, a list of sort of unproductive communication and problem-solving tactics that I'm sure you have um, experienced in your mediation. So, and, and this often is what people will re resort to in relationships because it's what they've learned. Um, so persuading, mm -hmm. convincing, conjoling, justifying, bullying, guilting, intimidating, blackmailing, emotionally withdrawing or withholding. Um, so this creates a very unsafe zone for collaboration. How, as a mediator, do you start to um, recognize that that dynamic is going on and then shift to something else? Well, the dynamic is not hard to identify because those, are, you know, I love your list. I'm not sure where you got it, but it, it's pretty extensive and it's very, um, it's something that we see in many, many of these relationship paradigms because most of them do have that imbalance. Um, and so you start to see those things in relationships very quickly. Um, and, and again, I think what we try to do is 
to move people off those patterns of communication by rephrasing their statements into questions or rephrasing it in a fashion that presents the other side with something to work with. Um, you know, somebody coming out with an, a, a bullying, I'll pick one of your words there, a bullying statement that, well, you've always been a um, you know, a jerk and, and therefore you have to go along with what I want here. And that's the only thing I'm going to accept. They're rephrasing that into, so what I hear you saying, Mary, is that you uh, would like Bob to consider doing this, whatever it is that her perspective or her, her ask is. Um, and trying to get them, again, always off of that norm, what's normal for them, because people very quickly will easily fall into that immediately, especially when they feel either threatened or the difficult emotions start to ramp up. I mean, that is, divorce is not one of those times when happiness, joy, and light are paramount in a couple's life. Yeah, there's fear, there's anger, vulnerable. there's hurt. Yeah, exactly. There is no standing around in a circle singing kumbaya as although people seem to think that's what happens there. Um, but, you know, so bringing them back and, and, you know, going back to that, that intention setting, because if you do that at the beginning of the process, that starts the entire process with a joint statement, or at least an understanding of what each of you are trying to achieve out of this. And it usually will contain a higher level of desires, wanting to move forward in a better way. That's almost a universal. People are in mediation for a variety of reasons, but almost universally they are there because they want a better outcome than they might receive in an adversarial process or in a traditional process. And if there are children involved, I've not had a couple ever come in where one of them said, eh, I don't really care about our kids. So if, if nothing else, you can always bring them back to the understanding that they both really love their children and they agree on that and they want what's best for them. Um, so trying to bring them back to, you know, they're working toward the same goal. So what are some of the elements of a constructive, positive problem solving? What does it look like in this, if this safe zone where communication is effective? What's happening that wasn't happening in their relationship? Well, it goes back to each party being able to state their concerns and having an understanding of what they think will meet those concerns and being able to feel that they can say that in the room. And again, having that neutral third party in the room makes all the difference um, for many people. It's not like a therapy session. I think people also think that mediation is along the lines of a therapy session, and it's not. But there are some elements where there is just having a third party there to help you hear each other, help you break down what often comes out as, you know, I was just talking to a client this morning and the mouth opens up and just blah of information comes out. And in that, you know, five minute diatribe, there was actual constructive information. And my job there was to pull that out and be able to help them break down talking about that um, and then help the other party hear what was being requested in a very long statement um, and work from there without getting bogged down in all of the other side issues that, that were brought into that conversation. And they were able to do that. Yeah, I mean, you're acting as a translator, you're acting as a, a reframer, um, and also generating options. And I'm thinking you're also sort of Sherlock Holmesing a bit because one of the main problems that can come up in relationships is there are these secret expectations um, that are unsaid and unknown. And then there are agreements made that aren't explicit enough and that also aren't taking into account those secret expectations. And it seems like that's something else you're doing as a mediator as the communication is progressing, is you're unearthing those and unmasking them. Unearthing or unmasking or at least getting the person to be aware of them within themselves, right? You know, so there is, I agree 100%, there is that element. Um, and to, the, to get to that really becomes, you know, the sleuthing process of asking questions. Um, so often what people say is not what they mean. Things come out in a way that, that doesn't really express their 
their true thought pattern or their what they really think because very often I find people know how they feel and they're able to put that out there but they don't know what they think the right way to move forward is they they will often come into the mediation and want the mediator to tell them what they're going to do because they the work of figuring out what they want is too hard or too scary or too daunting. Um, and that can be a struggle in the process as well, because as comforting as it might feel that it would be to have a third party make your decisions for you, uh, statistics and history show you are much better off making your own decisions. But you have to get in touch with those, you know, what you're talking about with those, with your true you know, moral compass and desires on what will work and what will not work for you. And that goes back to don't make agreements you can't keep because all you're going to do is deteriorate the relationship as opposed to building one, a new one with your, your ex that can go forward in that better way. And that's what the process can afford you if you're able to, you know, put in the work and sit down and do it is you can forge a new way of communicating. You can restructure your family and go forward and you have that time, that, that chance to rebuild the integrity and the trust you might have in each other. It may take a little while, but the first step is don't make agreements you can't keep. Make agreements that you can keep. So you need to know that they're going to work for you. Well, and you highlight such an important point too. It's that that double-edged sword of being responsible, right? If you're responsible, then you're empowered and you can make your decisions. But you also have to take responsibility for what is, right? You have to be like, okay, I got to own my stuff. I got to look at it and look at where I am and what's true, and then I've got to own it. And sometimes you're like, eh, <laughs> ignore that. Look the other way and just just have yeah. the, the judge decide. <laughs> la 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 yeah, la la. Yeah, no, yeah. no, 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 no. I didn't do anything. Yeah. Um, I, I have no power here. Uh, so with the agreements that you come out with, one of the elements that you come through the, with having resolved is explicit agreements. Um, how important is it that these agreements really are explicit? Oh, I think it's vitally important. Um, it's one of the key factors to having a sustainable agreement. So you know, the two of you having generalized agreements um, that leave things open to interpretation, that leave things open to disagreement, um, those just then give you further opportunity in the future to disagree. So at a point in time when you are restructuring your family, where you are restructuring your relationship, it's really important to dive in and make agreements that aren't just that broad scope and do delve down into the issues. As an example, if you are dealing with, I'm just going to make something up. Uh, so, you know, you're working on the parenting plan and one of the parents is like, well, you've never helped the kids with their homework. You don't think it's important. And I'm very worried about them being, you know, with you during the week if you're not going to make sure they get their homework done. So one of the things that I've seen be very powerful, and it references what you were just saying a minute ago, is that when one parent can say, I hear your concern and I understand that that hasn't been a focus in the past, but as we go forward, I will honor you know, the agreement that that is important for our children and I will you know, make that a priority when the children are with me and so that we can structure that into the agreement then that's a powerful agreement. And that is an agreement that can, can be something that, again, will hold up for the parties. If you just leave it that, well, I'm just going to send the kids over and I'm going to worry about it and, and the other parent's not going to address this. And I'm not saying you have to agree with what the other parent wants. I'm just using that as one example. But you have to understand what you were saying is we all make mistakes. We have all done things. There's not a person in that mediation process, including your mediator, who has not made mistakes. And owning your part of those mistakes and deciding and confirming that you're going to go forward, acknowledging that you made them and do something different in the future is a huge part of having an agreement that will work and help you go forward in that more constructive way. Whether it be as a divorced family or 
if you go back down the road of being a, a couple again. Well, and I think you've just nailed the most important aspect of mediation and its value because so often if you break up in a relationship or you go through a divorce through the courts, you know, you haven't changed at all. And so you're very likely to end up in a very similar relationship. You know, you've traded in the old model and, and you haven't made any changes in your current behavior and you're going to pretty much guaranteed to get the same problems with this newly packaged version. Whereas having gone through mediation, it's so much more likely that maybe that special is going to help the child in a way they hadn't before because you've broken down that dynamic and that paradigm and you've shifted into a new one and you've also gained skills and abilities. Yeah, I mean, your brain grows in the process, I think, or your the neural pathways, as they say. You know, really, you have to have the ability to take a deep breath and look at your part in what got the two of you to where you are today, whether it's to go down the path of divorce or the path of trying to work things out and get back together. It's not a process that is solely focused on fixing the other person or them changing their behaviors. And, you know, both parties sitting down and taking that raw look, which includes listening to what the other person has to say. And that's where that communication comes from. Um, is, is really central to going forward in any fashion. Um, sitting down in a room, telling your tale and having a stranger in a black robe tell the two of you what you're going to do is, and I know this because I did it for 20 plus years, is the worst possible case scenario for both of you. Because one of you will get more of what you want than the other likely, and the other one who didn't get it is just going to march back into court as soon as they possibly can to change it. And it's just an institutionalized conflict cycle. Whereas if you can sit down and actually reform the relationship, you can, you can put this all behind you. You don't need lawyers and mediators to run your life or be a part of your life as an ongoing thing. You can do the work in the process and move forward. So I just want to end the show with talking about how you're moving forward. And I'm guessing that you did not envision hosting a divorce podcast in your future when you were in law school, um, but you are now. And you with Rebecca and author attorney Gabrielle Hartley are partnering to offer transformative and supportive expert driven best you ever uh, divorce retreats in major cities across the country. As a leading dispute resolution professional, you're also to be the incoming co-chair of the American Bar Association which is very exciting section of dispute resolutions mediation committee um, the benefit of all uh, and to serve on the board of directors of the Southern California Mediation Association so you have transformed and you have a, a busy agenda ahead yeah I'm, I'm really honored with the appointment for the American Bar Association mediation committee chair because mediation as we've been talking about in this entire podcast is just near and dear to my heart. And I truly, truly feel that for most couples, it is a path forward that will help them to attain a result that's sustainable. And actually, you know, you mentioned Gabrielle Hartley, my friend and colleague who has her book, Better Apart. And you really can be better apart if your relationship is not going to get better. And, and the mediation process is a huge part of that. Um, and, and our retreats are something new that we're doing. And you're right, that is certainly not a place I ever thought as a divorce attorney that I would be going. But the podcast and the retreats are a part of our effort to, you know, we, Rebecca, my, my business partner, Rebecca Zung and I, we are both longtime hardcore divorce litigators. We were in the dirt, in the courtroom, doing the fight, advocating for our clients. And we both came to the same conclusion separately that that was not the best process for most people. And so we are doing everything that we can and the podcast and the retreats let us reach so many more people than we could just individually doing, you know, mediations couple by couple, although we do that as well through Breaking Free Mediation. So we're really excited to be able to, you know, get information out there to people, help them, um, because I do think that the face of divorce is very much changing with mediation, which can be done online. Um, much of it can now be done. The forms can be done online with services like 
it's over easy or hello divorce, you know, so, so much is available to people that, you know, you're, I always say it, it ain't your mama's divorce anymore. You do not need to go down the destructive lawyer up path um, of the past. And um, you can move forward in that better way. Well, thank you, Susan Guthrie, for joining us on the podcast. And thank you for all the amazing work that you are doing. You really are transforming people's options and, and the experience of divorce. Well, Ellie, thank you so much for having me here today. It was really an honor. I appreciate it. Okay. Thank you so okay. much, Ellie. Uh-huh. Bye. Have a good one. Bye-bye.